phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio. It's me, your host Floyd, once again. So today, we're going over a very, very famous episode that, re-watching it made me realize it's actually a much better episode than even I had remembered. It's, I mean, you know, it's not the best TV I've ever seen, but it's a really, really good episode. I'm genuinely getting surprised a lot by original Star Trek, even though I've seen it all before, at just how much better it is than what I was remembering when you really look at the story and what they're doing and what's happening. Like, this episode is called Arena. It's episode 19 of season 1. And it is famous, most people will tell you, for being the Gorn episode. And just saying that probably sparks a few people's memories of Kirk on a planet. Sort of wrestling with a big green lizard man who is, let's let's be real, it was a very obvious man in a rubber lizard suit wearing a weird purple kind of toka over it. And the lizard also has eyes that almost look like, you know, a bee or an insect's eyes, where it's got all the like little dints in it, looks like they'd be seeing a thousand things instead of a round eyeball. Except that eye is like glowing, almost like a gemstone. It's like glowing all these different colours. Which, you know, it's weird. I will say that for a design of an alien, it's weird, but compared to some of the other lizard designs that we see for aliens and other sci-fis, I actually kind of like it. I like the idea of this almost violent hunter lizard species that wears tow cars. They're almost like lizard Romans. It's it's a really cool aesthetic. It's a real shame that Star Trek doesn't use them more often. They get mentioned a fair bit. And I think fairly recently, I could be wrong, Like we'll go over it eventually... But um, fairly recently in one of the, I want to say Star Trek Discovery episodes, but it could be a different show. But anyway, fairly recently in one of the more modern Star Trek things, they actually brought in Gorn. There was a Gorn that infiltrates one of the ships. I think it's Enterprise, but again, I could be wrong. I don't know. We're not talking about that episode, but like, it's interesting that it took almost like 50 years for the Gorn to actually be shown on screen again. But yeah, anyway, let, so this episode, we'll go over quickly what happened. So they're on their way to Cestus Three, which is, they don't really describe much about it. They just say it's a colony. Uh, there's some kind of Commodore there who Kirk makes a comment about how he has his own chef and how, you know, there are some things that come with the rank and having your own chef is one of them. And for whatever reason, this Commodore wanted the Enterprise to come by and visit. And then sent them a second message when they got into when they got much closer by, stating that he wanted them to bring all of their tactical specialists, so all of their operations and security forces, basically down to the planet with Kirk. Kirk doesn't know why, but he's like, whatever. It's a commodore, which, again, I don't think they've used. No, they have used the word admiral in the original series. I don't really know what a commodore is supposed to be in comparison to an admiral, but. Whatever, we we get the idea a Commodore is above Captain, so it is someone higher in the ranks. So Kirk doesn't question it much, like, whatever, a Commodore is high enough rank that if he wants to contact the nearest ship, which is the Enterprise, and say, bring all your tactical officers down, he's allowed to do so, and it is Kirk's duty to follow that, so they do. Now, from the very beginning, Spock has a couple... He's sort of confused about it, he's like, why would he want tactical officers? And Kirk just sort of laughs it off. But then they land in, and I have to say, it was kind of funny. I could be wrong, but I'll bet if I looked it up, I'm right. When they land on the planet, well, land, they 
transport in, of course, because it's Star Trek. We very rarely do anything but transport. But they transport in to what, to me, looks like an arena. It's like a dusty, sandy, vaguely, like, roundish area that's got the stone, almost sandstone-looking, yellowy stone buildings around it with some signs up. And the signs say certain things, you know, typical Star Trek things, like one of them, I think, said life support. And, you know, we get the idea that there used to be a bit of a Starfleet base here. Probably not a colony, but a bit of a base. So they come down, and immediately Kirk pulls out his communicator, contacts the ship, says, Red alert, Sulu. Sestus 3 has been destroyed. And then he just closes his communicator and puts it back in his pocket. Because they appear... And, well, like I was going to say, I could be wrong, but this set, to me, looks like it was used for some kind of historical film. If I had to guess, this was a set that they had sitting around somewhere in their studios. was probably used for filming an old gladiator, a Roman, maybe even ancient Greek sort of movie back in the 60s. They had it on set, had it sitting around, and decided, let's save some money and let's just use that. We'll just slap some signage up to make it look like Star Trek. Which, you know... I'm not complaining about it. I'm actually fine with it. I, I think it was cool. I really liked it. As a history nerd myself, seeing something that I could immediately associate with different parts of history, I was like, that's cool. You know, I enjoy that sort of stuff. So they come down, they're under attack. And then, then it gets interesting. They get out the, what do you call it, tricorder, and they start scanning around. They find one life form is still alive, and it's the Commodore. They run over to the Commodore and they learn that he's just barely alive. The Doctor immediately starts trying to give him treatment and keeping him alive. He makes comment about how, like, he is alive, I'm starting to treat him, and he says he has internal damage, he has lots of problems, he'll live if I can get him proper care. And they contact the Enterprise, probably intending to immediately, like, beam back up and take the Commodore with them, and they get a message from Sulu saying, I can't, ow, <laughs> And here's another weird thing I have to bring up. He says, our defensive screens are up. I cannot teleport you right now. I cannot transport you. We are under attack. There is an unknown ship. Now, before we go over the ship and the whole introduction of the Gorn, I have to say defensive screens? What the fuck's a defensive screen? I'm pretty sure they've said in episodes past, shields. Shields at max. Like, why are they calling them defensive screens all of a sudden? The original series is really bad at sticking to, like, certain wording for things we got a real time space warp level this and that then we got warp speed then we got defensive screens and shields like come on man make up your damn mind work out what this stuff is we're up to episode 19 the first few episodes i understand it was a pilot and then it was early days they were trying to work out what they're doing but this is episode 19 i don't know how long it takes to film these things but if it's anything like the modern day you've got days of filming makeup artists coming in set builders you got probably at least a week or two minimum for the writers to look at the sets and work out what they're doing and get their terminology together especially in these early days when the writers were the same group of people over and over being basically you know coordinated by gene roddenberry who was the main writer back then so like it's not like they're getting different writing crews in every episode i don't understand why they couldn't get their terminology down or perhaps they were doing it on purpose to try and make it look like they're always changing the tech on the ship, taking things on and off, upgrading, I don't know. Maybe that was their idea, but I just... The defensive screen thing... Like, I don't... I'm not upset at defensive screen. I actually think that's a that's a cool way to say shields, because it's almost become a trope in sci-fi that every ship has shields. It's almost more interesting in a science fiction universe when they don't have shields. 
they use armor plates or they use something else even defensive screens you know is a unique way of putting it but they don't stick with it in future and they don't even have it in the past so it doesn't really feel right but anyway i'm getting caught up on small details so they try and beam up Sulu tells him he can't because he's currently under attack. He says, we could lower the defensive screens if you need us to beam you up now. And Kirk says, no, immediately. He's like, no, no, protect my ship. Do whatever you have to do. Leave us, leave the system if you need to to protect the ship. And, you know, Spock does just that. He ends up trying to fight them. After a little while, he ends up messaging Kirk and just saying, we are having to pull out of the system because we can't damage them. So... They leave the system temporarily, intending to come back, leaving Kirk and the others on the ground. Now, when they landed, Kirk had a few tactical officers with him. He sent two of them off in different directions to scout ahead and work out what's going on the minute that they landed and saw everything was destroyed, and were like, all right, send, send these two out, let's scout, see if anyone's around, see if there's any hostile forces in the area. And then, not long after they found the Commodore, they started having actual artillery well, at least it seemed that way. Actual artillery landing all around them, which was cool, I have to say. Really cool, because there's actual wars and conflicts. Not heaps of them, but later on in Star Trek, there are actual wars. And one of the biggest complaints a lot of people had during those stories was, where's all the war weapons? Like, we understand on a day-to-day -day basis, the ship's weapons do fine. The ship's torpedoes and lasers and most of what they actually have to deal with can be dealt with with your side-holstered phaser. It has the ability to stun and if something's really dangerous, you can turn it up to kill and a security officer or two is normally enough to deal with most threats. But in a time of war or conflict like this, you would think that uh, people like the Federation would have the ability, training, and equipment to actually fight battles properly. And this is one of the few times where we see artillery striking all around them, which is cool, because that's how a battle really would be. If you were an invading species, you would be using artillery, you'd be using orbital bombardment, you'd be using all sorts of things that would be fairly common in modern warfare. But, for whatever reason in Star Trek, they don't often show it. This episode did, and it was really cool. And what they also showed was, like, explosions are around them. And what was interesting was the Gorn... Well, sorry, we know it's the Gorn. They don't know it's the Gorn. Their tricorder readings give them readings of... What does McCoy say? He says there are a dozen life forms over in that direction. None of them are warm-blooded nor human. They are a species I don't recognize. Which is the Gorn, because the Gorn are lizard men. They are reptiles. They are cold-blooded. Which I thought was cool, because they actually changed them. In a lot of sci-fi, it's just, oh, they're lizard people. But structurally, the way they act, they may as well just be human. They, they act like humans. They live in human-like houses. They even move and talk like humans. Gorn. They made a real conscious effort to make the Gorn alien. To make them reptilian. They move slow. They're not stupid by any means. They're just as intelligent as humans, from what we can tell. But they're slow. They are cold-blooded creatures. We don't get to see them at night, so I'm not sure if they're like most cold-blooded creatures and basically go into hibernation, but, you know, they were slower moving but smart, so they use weapons like artillery, which I think from a military point of view, if you're a species who moves slow but is strong, artillery makes a lot of sense, because it's, why not soften your enemies from a distance? If you know your biggest weakness is the enemy running away and you being too slow to catch them, then you kind of want overwhelming firepower to make sure there's nothing left to run away by the time you get there. So I thought that was a really cool choice to give the Gorn actual artillery. But anyway, 
Also, the aesthetic of Starfleet people like Kirk diving around in what looked like the ruins of a Colosseum with artillery all around was kind of a cool image, I gotta say. But then Kirk pulls out, and this is what's interesting, he pulls out a little, it looks like a little mortar, a little tube thing, you know, a very primitive style artillery by the look of it. It's like a little tube he pulls out of what looks like a suitcase. Now, I found that interesting because I was like, I... We don't get to see where he gets that from. Is that something that they always bring on their away missions? Because we've never seen that before. I've never seen them bring heavy weaponry down with them. Is that something he found nearby? I mean, that's possible. This is, you know, there was a Commodore here. It was a base. It could have had some military defensive capabilities. Perhaps he found it in the ruins somewhere nearby. That's feasible. But, I don't know, we don't see where it comes out of. He just suddenly has a suitcase that has an artillery piece in it. But, again, it's cool. Spock makes his way from the Doctor, who basically is doing his best for the Commodore, and says, you stay here, I'm going to the Captain. One of the tactical guys gets killed, and I don't think comes back. The other one is with Kirk for the, for the start, and then gets hit by a Disruptor, I think it is. He sticks his head up and gets hit with a Disruptor, which, if you don't know, because I don't think we've really talked about Disruptors yet, they're a fairly common weapon in the Star Trek universe. They are what most of the non-Federation, more warfare-based species use. It's basically a phaser, but it's a bit different. Like a phaser set to max, max setting can like basically make a human explode or just disintegrate them. But it will disintegrate them. It's pretty quick. I don't think it's painless, but it's fairly painless. It's designed to be, use it if you have to, but it's not to punish the enemy. It's to keep you alive. It's a very Federation weapon. You know, it's designed to be humane, it's not designed to be cruel, and for the most part it's used on stun, so it may as well be a taser 90% of the time. Whereas the Romulans, as we'll see later, I believe the Klingons, I think even the Cardassians, like, like, basically most other species use disruptors, which is a much more violent version of it, where it's said to cause pain. Like, there's no stun setting on disruptors, so they're designed to be fully lethal. They're basically proper guns. Instead of being a taser that has the capability to be a gun like a phaser, they're just a proper energy weapon. They will just outright kill you. They will cause you pain. They're basically mini torture devices that, if ramped up enough, will just outright murder you. But the way they describe them, even later on, is like, it gives you pain. It's designed to be slow. It, like, cooks your organs on the inside. It does... All sorts of horrible things. Like, disruptors honestly sound really horrific as a weapon. But we see one of the tactical officers next to Kurt get hit with one. There's sort of a glowing energy aura around him, which is what we see quite a lot. They scream, because like I said, it's a bit slow. It, it doesn't just blow them up immediately or disintegrate them. It's kind of over a second or two you feel the pain as you die. And they usually scream out. Again, because they're mostly used by the martial, like more military factions... They probably want that. It's a morale thing. Someone gets hit with a phaser, it's shocking. Like, oh god, your comrades just hit the floor. But when the person next to you, who you're probably friends with, starts screaming in a scream that you've never heard before because they're in so much pain and then they're suddenly gone, that's morale breaking. That's, that's in some situations, your whole group is going to get freaked out. They're going to get scared. They're going to dive for the ground. You know, it's a real morale breaking weapon. But anyway, Kirk pulls out this thing, and he pulls out what, I mean, let's be real, what he pulls out of the case is a mortar, but it looks more like a PVC pipe that's probably been painted black. They gave it little legs. 
And then he gets out what looks like little blue bouncy balls that you'd find in any ball pit. It looks like, I mean, they're sitting nicely. It looks like a little egg carton, the way they've got them sitting in there. And he puts it in and it fires at a mountain not far from them where they suspect that the Gorn are, or the enemies are, because they don't know what's Gorn yet. And it goes, and here's where we see once again why the Federation continues to be successful over and over throughout Star Trek, because their technology is just next level. The Gorn have been hitting them with artillery, and honestly, the artillery, not doing that much damage. It's blowing holes all around them, and it would kill you. But honestly, it looks like, I would say, 1980s or before artillery. Like, we have artillery now that blows bigger craters than what we were seeing around Kirk. And what Kirk fires at that mountain, they don't actually show it, but like they shield their eyes and there's a big white flash as it hits. And from what I can tell, it basically seems like it's a nuke. It's not a nuke because it's not radiation, but it seems like it's like nuclear levels of destruction. I think he destroyed that mountain that they were firing the artillery from. With one shot, by the way. He didn't fire multiple mortars. It wasn't him testing his fire with Spock helping him. He fired one shot and the whole mountain was blown away in such a horrific explosion that they had to look away. Which is, you know, the Federation is not a martial warfare-based faction, which is, you know, they're peaceful scientific. But when it comes down to it, they can damn well fight, and they have the tech to fight, which is why most of these factions are usually probing actions on the border rather than full-on invasions, because fighting the Federation is not easy. They are not pushovers. They do have weapons. A war with them is damn bloody, and they will kill a lot of you if you try. But anyway, you know, he blows up the mountain. The Gorn back off. They get a message from Sulu saying that their ship has come back. It seems to have transported up all of the Gorn, all of the aliens from the surface, and they're leaving. And he wants to beam up Kirk and the others, which he does. Now, Kirk goes on to pursue, because from the Commodore they learnt, because he asked the Commodore, like, did you send the messages? And he says, no. We were attacked a full day before those messages were sent to you. He's like, that must have been them. Which makes them determine that, yeah, Kirk says in this sector of space, there isn't many ships. It seems like this is a sector that they've only just started expanding into and exploring. So he says the Enterprise is literally the only defense in the region. There are no other ships, which suggests to me that, yeah, they haven't been here long. There's no star bases. There's no other ships patrolling. This is a new area, they are, and the Enterprise is probably here doing scientific exploration the way it does, expanding their knowledge so that they can maybe set up outposts and stuff, but at this point they don't have much. So the Gorn have apparently, because we learn later that the Gorn see this as their territory, this is their marked space, they see us as invaders, we've come into their space, and we have set up what they deem to be a military base, and they feel like they're being threatened. So they, as a martial society, responded. They attacked and they blew away our outpost. They worked out, probably through the knowledge they learnt from the outpost and reading all our communications, that the Enterprise is the only defence for the region. And so they decided to just blow this place away, send messages pretending to be from the Commodore, to lure the Enterprise into an ambush so they could destroy it, knowing full well that that would make this sector of space completely vulnerable for their invasion. Well, from their point of view to repulse our invasion, but we don't know that. We don't know their borders, we aren't aware that we've invaded, and we think we're under attack. So that's the whole crux of this episode, is that it is miscommunication, really. Both sides believe they are being invaded and are acting extremely aggressively to try and defend themselves. But the Federation doesn't realise that we're sort of the ones in the wrong. We invaded them. 
Now, Kirk gets angry. He's going after the ship. Spock does try to actually bring this point up. He does try to say to Kirk on the bridge, like, are we certain that this is an invasion? Surely pursuing them and chasing them out of our space is enough. Do we really need to kill them? Because the Commodore mentioned that there were women and children in the colony, well, on the base, and that he tried to communicate that with to the Gorn that were attacking, and that they didn't listen. He said, whoever they were, they never responded. We begged them not to attack us. We had women and children. And he keeps saying, I begged them. And we know from when Kirk landed, there are no other survivors. The Commodore's the only one, which means those women and children are dead. It's a massacre. They have massacred everyone that was on that planet, which is pretty horrific. And I don't blame Kirk in the slightest for his feelings of, we need to get revenge for this. We need to show them this is not acceptable and go after them. Show them what happens when they mess with the Federation. And you know what? In Kirk's position, I would have done the same thing. I'd go after them, I'd blow up their ship, and I would tell Spock that we don't have time for your argument. Because Spock keeps trying to bring up like their ascension species, perhaps we should try and communicate with them, perhaps this was all a mistake. We're supposed to respect all life. And you know, again, legitimate argument, he is in the right, and it turns out overall, Spock actually is the only one that is in the right here. However, no one else knows that. From their point of view, they're going wrong, they're going to kill him. Kirk says, your objection is noted, we're going after them, we're going to destroy them. And so that's what they try and do. But during the pursuit, the Gorn ship suddenly stops. Now, the Enterprise starts to catch up. They realize that the ship stopped and doesn't seem to be showing any signs of energy. And they're like, what could have happened? They don't detect anything around the ship that could have caused it to happen. So they, And Kirk just sort of looks around and says, good, let's go after them and fire phases, basically intending to murder that ship. As, again, revenge for the women and children in the massacre. Now, they get near the ship. And all their power cuts out. Well, not all their power, but their engines, their weapons, everything important cuts out. And they're like, what the hell? And Spock sort of looks around and goes, I suspect the same thing that happened to them. And then Uhura lets out a real weird scream, which I don't know if that's just them trying to play up. She's a woman and she's scared, so they make her squeal. I don't know if that's meant to be some kind of what Roddenberry thought they were like. I mean, I know a lot of women scream when the weird things happen, but I feel like a military woman like Uhura probably would have been a little more hardened than that, but whatever. It was a director choice, and it was a choice. She screams, and Kirk disappears. Now, Kirk lands on the planet. Well, lands. He basically gets teleported to the planet. It's not the same. We don't hear the sound effects. It's not our transporter, and it's not the Gorn one. He lands on the planet and we see the Gorn, like I was describing earlier, the dude in a plastic lizard suit. And Kirk tries to fight it. And he determines very quickly that the Gorn is slow. Like, it's literally slow. It moves slower than him, but it's got big claws. It's got big hands. It stands a good foot and a bit above Kirk, so it's tall. And he tries to hit it. He dodges its attacks and Kirk does the old double fist to the back of the neck and to the shoulder and he tries to shove it over and... No matter what he does, it just doesn't seem to affect him. This Gorn is just so hard skin, which makes sense. He's a lizard. Any lizard at that level, like, I don't know if you've ever seen crocodiles and stuff, but, like, good luck piercing them with a knife. Those things have hard skin, so it makes perfect sense that an intelligent reptile like that probably has that hard hide in the same way that those animals do. Which inherently brings up a problem when you're in hand-to-hand combat as a squishy human who is, as humans will be described in a later episode, bags of mostly water. 
It doesn't take much to pierce a bag of mostly water, whereas a lizard's hide... Good luck. Because Kirk realises when he gets transported down by this force that we later learn is called the Metrons, because they do contact the Enterprise, and they say that, you know, your captain is currently... Because at first it's a mystery, we don't know what's happened, Kirk disappears... Kirk's on this planet, he has no phaser, it seems like the Gorn has no weapon either, both of them rush for the trees, trying to get, like, big branches. Becomes apparent pretty quickly, not just from the fist fight, but from the size of the branch that the Gorn's able to one-handedly break off a tree and start swinging at Kirk, compared to what Kirk puts his whole body weight behind to get. It's a pretty big difference, the Gorn has a small tree in his hand that he's swinging at Kirk, and Kirk has a stick that he very quickly throws to the side, like, what am I even trying? Kirk starts running. He realizes this creature is strong, it's smart, but it's slow. So he takes advantage of that and he starts running. Tries to get a bit of distance, tries to find some kind of weapon because he's looking for a way to survive. You know, and good on him. He He's a proper soldier. He, he's taking full advantage of the surroundings. He's doing all he can to survive and taking in all the facts. He's determined he can't win right now. Sometimes... Although some people see it as cowardly, sometimes an organized retreat to organize your strength and work out a plan is better than just dumbly charging an enemy you know you can't beat. So he starts running, and the Gorn starts coming after him, and it becomes a whole chase thing. That's when we get the Metrons contact the Enterprise, and we don't see it, but I presume it also contacts the Gorn ship and has much the same kind of interaction. And it tells them, you know, you have been your captain is on this planet, he and the Gorn are going to be fighting and, st- and we will see what the outcome is. Which is, you know, from the Enterprise and a human point of view, a little bit like, oh my god, they just kidnapped my captain and they're making him fight to the death with the captain of the Gorn ship. Although, I don't think they ever outright state that it's the captain of the Gorn ship. Neither does the Gorn ever state that he is any kind of high rank. But I think it's safe to presume... The Metrons, if they have the ability to steal Kirk from within the shields of his ship and shut off the power of both ships, probably have the power to do the same to the Gorn and probably took their captain too. But, uh, so yeah, the Metrons contact the ship. They don't actually reveal themselves at first. It's just on the view screen we get kind of this filter of what I would call an old screensaver of, like, different colors just sort of bumbling around all over the screen as we hear a voice. Which, you know, whatever. They obviously don't want to reveal themselves. They're very obviously far more powerful technologically and possibly biologically than we are. So what choice do we have? The Enterprise crew tries to communicate with it. Spock tries to hail them a couple more times to be, like, asking for their mercy, asking for, like, what's going on? What can we do? We would like to talk. Can we have a conference? And the Metrons basically make no more contact for a while. Now on the planet, a lot goes on. The Gorn sets up a trap. Kirk sets up a trap. They both actually go off. Kirk gets a big rock, rolls down, and hits Kirk. It doesn't crush him or anything, but his foot gets stuck under it temporarily, which almost gets him killed as the Gorn comes up to him with a knife. or well, a knife that he has made out of a sharp rock by sharpening it on another rock. But um, he manages to escape that, and he starts running. Kirk manages to drop a boulder from the top of a of like a hill on top of the Gorn while it was sharpening that rock. He thinks he's killed it, he comes up close and he sees the Gorn's like fingers start moving. The Gorn wakes up and this rock, mind you, I said boulder for a reason. This is a rock that if it had fallen on top of a human would crush your spine and all your organs without question. 
there's no way you're surviving and something like that hits you. It hits the Gorn. Apparently the Gorn aren't indestructive, because it does knock the Gorn over. He does seem to go unconscious for a little bit, but by the time Kirk climbs down there, like I said, he's moving his fingers, he's waking up. He pushes the rock off him. So obviously he's hide and his spine are far stronger than the humans are. So Kirk runs. Like I said, sets off the trap, nearly gets killed, but then he continues to run. Now, at this point, the Metrons contact the Enterprise again, which is kind of weird, and they say, if you have any death rituals or anything that you wish to do or need time to prepare yourself, it seems your captain is about to lose. So we are giving you this warning, and we shall let you prepare for it by viewing what is happening. So they show on the view screen what's happening. Now, mind you, the Enterprise is not orbiting a planet. They don't know where the planet is. Like, they do try initially to work out where Kirk is and where this planet is, but they look out in space and they're like, it could be anything around us. We don't have time to scan every sector of this space. We don't know how powerful they are or how far they've taken him. It could take who knows how long to find him. Because the Doctor keeps saying to Spock, like, what about Kirk? We need to do something. And he just says, quite simply, like, Doctor, if I could do something, I would. Give me something I can do and I will. But for now... I don't know what I can do. We don't know where he is and we are powerless. All I can do is wait. Which, you know, makes sense. What else can you do? The power is down. Any enemy that has the ability to turn your power off like that, like flicking a switch, probably has the ability to do it again, even if you get it running, and you don't know where to go, even if you do get it running. So, what do you do? So they wait. But they do get to see. And I will say, this was a weird experience, watching... Spock and McCoy and all that, watching a view screen of Kirk fighting the Gorn, almost felt like you were having like a modern day watch party or you were watching like a reaction channel. But it was in the show, so we're watching the characters watch a character in an episode of Star Trek, which was a weird, almost Inception level of uh, viewing that I kind of enjoyed. I sort of liked it. Almost made me hope that in future we might actually get something like that where they hire one of the new actors to actually watch some of the old Star Trek episodes, but do it through the guise of, like, a training session or something so that we can watch it. I think that'd be really cool. But anyway, they watch that. Kirk eventually works out that on the planet there are certain things he can use. Like, he finds sulfur. He finds a couple other things that he can use to create a very, you know, makeshift and primitive, but still effective, early canon. He uses what looks like bamboo, he uses some of those sharp rocks, and he uses a lot of that um, sulfur stuff to basically make a very makeshift cannon and fire this rock, or a couple of rocks, at the Gorn. Because, you know, by now it's very apparent that he doesn't have the strength to beat this Gorn. If a boulder from a mountain isn't able to do it, then I need to hit it harder, which means you need some kind of gun. You need some kind of propelled force that is going to get through his layer of hide. Now, Kirk does that. He manages to use his brain, run away from the creature, get a good distance, set up this weapon, and then drop it. And it works. He fires, and these rocks go through the Gorn. The Gorn's on the ground, like, bleeding out. Mind you, at this point, the Gorn has actually contacted Kirk, because this whole time, Kirk's been keeping a log. Basically, at the start, he says, if anyone finds this, please get this to Starfleet. And then he starts telling what's happening. I'm under attack by a Gorn, blah, 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 blah. Giving a description. Which, by the way, is smart. It seems stupid when you're watching the episode. Like, shouldn't you be focused on survival? But, I mean, what if Spock gets sent down next? For all he knows, this is some sick game from an alien species and it's going to be one by one killing his crew. Maybe if Spock comes down next 
and he finds Kirk's recording and is able to keep a distance between him and the Gorn while he listens to it, he can skip all those steps that Kirk took and move forward from there. Kirk is, you know, retroactively planning ahead in case he dies so the next crew member can survive. Or worst case scenario, if his whole crew dies, Starfleet may eventually get out here wondering what's happening and find this recording and then at least know what's happening and know enough to get out of there. You know, though it seems stupid when you're watching it at first that you're doing like a log, like really, you're in a survival situation, you're doing a log now, but when you stop and think about it, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's a very responsible thing to do, which is why he, again, he is the captain. He does these things. He doesn't have to think or be told about them. He just does them. This is He's that professional. Now he drops it, and then he gets a rock, a sharp rock, and he goes over the gorn, and he goes to hold it up to kill him. But then he stops. He sort of looks at the gorn, and he realizes like he's got almost a bit of a respect for it, because throughout this time on the planet, it seems the gorn obviously didn't bring him to the planet. The gorn didn't plan this. Yes, he did massacre the people back on Cestus Three, but Kirk sort of looks at him and he realizes in that last moment that we're not that different. And he even says, for all I know, you attacked us believing you were defending yourself. I have no right to take your life. And then he puts the rock down. And at that point, the Gorn, it's kind of like a flash. The Gorn disappears, presumably goes back to his ship to be healed. And... A very odd-looking alien arrives. An odd-looking alien who, to me, looks like a 16-year-old wearing a toga. You know, he's got the blonde hair, he's wearing the white toga, he's even got these old-school sandals on. And he's just sort of looking at him. But he's got this weird glow. This almost like you would see in a lot of older movies talking about, like, Olympian gods. That's the image I get. I get this real, like, Olympian god, like, maybe a Hermes-type look to him got this almost beyond mortal look to him which is cool and he says i i don't think he gives a name but he says i am a metron he says does my appearance surprise you i might seem young but i am 1500 of your earth years old which by the way 1500 years can you imagine living 1500 years 1500 years ago what are we now 2022 it was the year 500 I'm pretty knowledgeable with history and Jesus Christ, 500 year, five, the year 500 AD, Earth looked so different. Most people living in today, if they looked at a map of what was mapped out and what we know about that period, would recognize next to nothing. Like, almost everything you recognize about the modern world is gone back then. Technologically, politically, everything. Everything looked different. It was a different world. Imagine living that long. Like, just the things you would see and experience is incredible. And, like I said, he looked young. Maybe he's not a biological, maybe they're not supposed to be aging the same way we are, but if he is, like, it seemed like he had a very long lifespan still ahead of him, and 1,500 years could be just the start. Any species that lives that long is inherently going to be very advanced just based on knowledge. Think about how smart most professionals are. Like, my dad's a tradie. He's a painter. You know, in his youth, he was an okay painter. By his 30s, he was a pretty good painter. Now, in his 50s, he's an excellent painter. He can paint a house in an afternoon, and it looks like a professional job. He does it brilliantly. Imagine another 100 years in that trade would do. Imagine a 1,000 years in that trade. By a 1,000 years, he probably would have invented his own paint. He'll be making his own at home. He'll probably be growing the things that he uses to make his own paint at home and have it all be this internal thing. Like, you know, my point of 
if you lived that long, you would just, just by the benefit of living that long and having that much lived experience, you would be a very powerful and useful species. Which sort of explains why the Metrons do seem to have these almost godlike abilities. Now, what's interesting about the Metrons, I'll say, because, by the way, that's basically the end of the episode. He compliments him a little. He says, you show the advanced method of mercy, something we did not expect from you. We underestimated you and thought you to be more barbaric. Because when they steal the captain, they do mention, like, you and the other ship both came into this sector of our space with hostile intention. So they treated them like the barbarians they saw them as, and then Kirk surprised them by showing mercy. And the Metron basically says, perhaps in a thousand years, your species will be ready for our contact. We will contact you at that time. We will let you know. And then Kirk gets taken back to his ship, and then Sulu like looks around and goes, Captain. And he's like looking around at these systems. He's like, we are over 500 something i think he says parsecs i don't know 500 something basically he says we're on the other side of space like we're a very long way from where we were or are or were and he gets a bit confused and kirk just says try not to think about it i think they're so advanced that it would just hurt our brain trying to understand what happened which fully i i agree metrons if they have the ability to just teleport you without seeming to use technology and then move your entire ship across space and take the power away when you enter their space like that's a species you probably don't want to push the buttons of too much that's probably a species you want to avoid for now but the fact that they you sort of earn their respect is a good thing hopefully one day they will come back now these are one of those species that I'd say are like Q-like, almost like God-like species. Because remember I mentioned Trelane, I mentioned the Q, we haven't met the Q yet, but Trelane, whatever that species was with the energy stuff, the Squire of Gothos. There's the Q, and there's these guys. They're always the three I think of when there's these like God-like species in this universe. And they're I don't know, the Metrons are very mysterious, because other than this episode, we get very, very little information about Metrons anywhere else in Drek. There is, there's one Easter egg somewhere in Deep Space Nine, I don't remember where, but on one of the TV, like, this is how minor it is, on one of the TV monitors in the background of the promenade, which is like a marketplace, there's an advertisement from, a few fans notice, the Metron Consortium. Now, we don't really know what the Metron Consortium is. I don't know if it's just they decided to use the name as a quick reference that some fans might go, hey, Metrons, or whether the Metron Consortium is supposed to be in-universe these people or just someone else that uses that name. I don't really know. But that's the only other, like, mention of Metrons we've had, which is interesting. But, like, I... Some people get annoyed at these godlike species. Personally, I like them. I find them very fascinating. The idea of a species that is so long-lived like this that they have these abilities and they're just living in almost a different... Like, their existence is just different. It's kind of like a modern-day person versus someone from a thousand years ago. Like, your day-to-day living is so mysterious. If you had a Roman legionnaire come into your house today and look at the technology and abilities you have and things you can use, like just the refrigerator, the internet, the computer, these things would dazzle people from back then. They would think you were some godlike entity. They'd probably build a temple to you. Like, how can you have so much knowledge at your fingertips? You must be a god. Like, I feel like Metrons and these other species are kind of that to the rest of Star Trek. 
which is what makes them so fun and mysterious because it's not like the others. The Romulans are involved, you know, it's probably them being sneaky. They're probably trying to do something to grow their empire in a very understandable and almost human way in the way we conduct ourselves, the way Klingons can... But these people are different. They work on a different level. We're not even really capable of understanding what it is that they want or why they do things. And since they feel no need to explain, they don't. But anyway, that's this episode. Thank you for listening. The Metrons were an interesting one. And next time, well, next time I'm going to be recording it in just a moment. We're going to be going over an episode that I believe, I could be wrong, but I think it has to do with time travel. Bye for now.